Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayor's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Each week, the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you these interesting broadcasts of Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. Before we bring you Mr. Arnold, I want to point out that there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of Americans who have become the leaders of our country, the presidents of these United States. People today are more interested than ever before to know the intimate and inspiring facts about the lives of their former chief executives. That is why Mr. President has rapidly caught the attention of people everywhere. For here is the program that presents human, intimate anecdotes and incidents in the careers of our presidents, woven into the rich tapestry that is the American heritage. And you, as the listener, enjoy the additional thrill of trying to identify the president in the story being told. So test your knowledge of the men who've lived in the White House by listening now for the story of Mr. President. Mr. President, let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Come in. Sit down, won't you? You know, when a man becomes president of the United States, there are certain things he's supposed to know how to do. There's one, though, that's been left out, and that's tightrope walking. It's something every president is sometimes forced to do, as you'll see in this story. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president the events really happened to, but meanwhile, you may be able to guess. Few struggles that face a president are as hard as keeping our country out of war when almost everybody else is in it. That was what I was up against, especially one morning when my secretary, Miss Sarah, was having a battle of her own. But why is he coming, Miss Sarah? What's happened? Will the president see? Later, gentlemen, please. Will it mean war? I don't know. The whole press room's anxious, Miss Sarah. We can't be kept waiting. The people want please, to know. Please, Mr. Spencer, Mr. Taggarty. Mr. Parker of the State Department is coming to see the president, but it's only a routine visit. Besides, if there's any news, you'll get it in the regular way. But there's been a new announcement from the enemy. Mr. Taggarty, this country is at peace. We have no enemies. Is that how the president feels? How the president feels is nobody's business but his own. Won't you please leave him alone? No, no, not when the whole country... Excuse me, gentlemen, please. Good morning, Mr. Parker. Good morning. Will you follow me, please? Thank you, Miss Sarah. Uh, Mr. Parker, what's behind this visit of yours, sir? It means war, doesn't it? Any statement on that subject will have to come from the president, gentlemen. This way, Mr. Parker. Uh, but, Mr. Parker, people want to know what you're going to... 
I'm sorry, Mr. Parker. They've been at me since quarter of nine. Mr. President, Mr. Parker. Oh, good morning, Parker. Good morning, sir. Mr. President, Spencer and Taggarty are pressing me for a statement to the entire press corps. Is there anything I can tell them, sir? I don't know yet, Miss Sarah. Can you keep fighting them off? Yes, well, I'll do my best. Thank you. Well, Parker, it's bad news, isn't it? The worst. What do they say? Stripped of diplomatic verbiage, sir. Their communication says one plain thing. They will no longer abide by their earlier promise not to attack merchant ships. What else? Merchant ships, they say, carry war materials and they must attack them in self-defense. That's the same old argument they've used before. Further, they warn us to keep American citizens from traveling on any ship belonging to a belligerent. And finally, they warn that our own merchant vessels are in danger, too. Parker, I don't know which makes me angrier. To believe myself that I'm a fool or to be taken for one. What do they expect me to do? They hope you'll accept these conditions. Oh, they must know I won't. They must know I can't. Their point, sir, their point is that the European Allied blockade is strangling them and that they have a right to strike back. On civilians, merchant ships, neutrals? That isn't war, it's murder. Uh, will you glance at this, sir? What is it? It's a preliminary draft of a reply rejecting their conditions. I thought it might save you some time. In Don't you realize that outright rejection of their conditions will put us into the war? Well, war is a terrible thing, Mr. President. But I'm afraid victory for the aggressors would be worse. I want to see civilization survive. So do I, Parker. But I happen to think that peace is the key. You can't cure war with war, Parker. And that's not the course I'm going to follow. Is there any other course, Mr. President? Yes. Peace. I've been wondering for months what we could do if this situation came about. The thing we are faced with now. A desperate threat to our rights as a neutral and the unreadiness of our country for war. I have another course, Parker. I can't guarantee you or anybody that it's right, but we've got to try it. I want to offer the services of this country to bring about a peace conference. And at once. A peace conference? But why would any of the belligerents talk peace now, Mr. President? Each of them thinks they can win. What do they mean by win? If this war continues much longer, real victory for anybody will be impossible. Victory will be just as exhausting as defeat. And it'll breed another war in the future. Well, I'm afraid that's theory, sir. We've got facts to face. I'm willing to gamble that Europe's got a dozen statesmen who'll face just one fact. That in a long, bitter war like this, there aren't any victors. Only victims. Put your reply back in your desk, Parker. I hope we'll never need it. Meanwhile, we'll sound out the various countries about a beast conference. At least I'll find out who wants peace and who doesn't. But we've got to make some reply to this note, sir. We won't answer it at all, Parker. What? Not until they attack an American ship or injure American citizens. I hope we never have to answer it. Very well, sir. I'll get to work on the conference plan. Not a word to anyone outside about it, Parker. No, sir. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. President, I, I can't get rid of them. Well, you shouldn't be bothered with that, Miss Sarah. Oh, I don't mind, Mr. President. In fact, I like it. Naturally, a lady likes to be surrounded by men. Well, that's not what I meant, Mr. President. No, well, I'm sorry, Miss Sarah. I was only joking. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> Besides, it isn't too bad now. Not if I can keep out of trouble and keep Senator Johns from making speeches till we get the peace conference arranged. <laughs> The Senate of the United States sit in silence when the President fails in his plain duty. We are told our ships are going to be sunk and he takes no action. American lives are going to be lost on the high seas 
and the president does not open his mouth. Everything this nation stands for is flouted by a contemptuous, arrogant government, and the president does nothing. I call upon him to defend our rights in the only possible way, to come before Congress and demand a declaration of war. Senator Johns, I'd appreciate your sitting down. I prefer to stand. Thank you. I don't mean this personally, Senator, but when you stand, you have a tendency to orate at me. Now, couldn't we just talk across the desk? Hmm. Uh, Very well. Thank you. Now, I invited you to visit me today to ask you a favor. I want you to stop drumming up war feeling. Of course you do, Mr. President, but I'm certainly not going to stop. Why should I? Because, frankly, you're embarrassing the administration. That's exactly my intention, sir. Senator, I'm trying to do a very difficult thing. I'm trying to assert and defend our rights as a neutral without getting into war. That's tightrope walking, Mr. President. Are you trained for it? (laughs) Well, I'm learning, Senator. And if you, all of you, would restrain yourselves, I think we might get through. You see, I have reason to hope that the war may be ended within six months. Ridiculous. Neither side can win in six months. Will you give me time to make sure? How much time? Thirty to sixty days, no more. Oh, well, you've got some plan of your own in mind? Exactly. What is it? I'm sorry, Senator. I can't tell you. I can't tell anyone. (laughs) Mr. President, I refuse to walk into such an obvious trap. There's a presidential election next fall, and I want my party to oppose you for not going to war. And you want to muzzle me just to make re-election easier for you? (laughs) Sorry, Mr. President, you'll have to do better than that. Senator, let's both put country before politics. Will you take my word as President of the United States that I need your help? That I have a plan to bring about peace? And that I can't disclose it now without ruining it entirely? My word is President, Senator. Why, I can't very well refuse that, sir. Very well, I give you my promise. But suppose some American ships are sunk before your plan works. I'll still hold you to your promise. But will the country keep silent? I don't know, Senator. That's one of the great risks of tightrope walking. Senator Johns. Morning, Kitchen. We haven't heard any war speeches from you the last few weeks, Johns. You haven't gone and changed your mind, have you? No. Mind you, I'm right glad you're quiet. Only it makes me wonder. Still think we're going into the war? Kitchen, I hoped we'd march in. Eyes open, determined. But the president evidently wants to back us in. Very well. He's putting himself and your party in an impossible position. And I don't mind that at all. Oh, so that's it. Well, Johns, I... Gentlemen, there's news. What is it, McLemore? An unarmed Allied ship's been attacked. I see. Americans on board were injured. Oh, that's terrible. Besides that, a freighter has been sunk, and our ships have been warned not to enter the war zone. This is very bad news, McLemore. Kitchen, what about your precious neutral rights now? We'll find a way to defend them, John. With words or bullets. War won't solve this problem, Senator. Do you mean this president of yours will take this lying down? Certainly not. And what's he going to do? <laughs> what's he going to do anyway? <laughs> Ask for a declaration of war. 
declaration of war, Mclemore. It's certainly something important, Kitchen. A joint session of Congress. He certainly kept his intentions secret. I've talked to a dozen men close to the president. Not one of them have any idea what he intends to say today. No, not even Miss Sir seemed to know this morning. No. Oh, here's oh, the president. Oh, now. here he is now, Kitchen. Well, we'll soon know. Gentlemen of the Congress of the United States, the president. Gentlemen, gentlemen, it is with deep humility and a recognition of the serious responsibility which rests upon all of us at this moment that I have asked to appear before you. Chaos stalks the continent of Europe. There are those who believe this is of no concern to us. They are wrong. Events in Europe today cannot but bring a share of ruin to all the world. The intangible threat is great. But more than that, American lives have already been lost because of one belligerent government not only ignores our rights as a neutral, but also flouts the laws of decency and humanity. I now issue this solemn warning. Unless that government should now immediately abandon its present methods of warfare against passenger and freight-carrying vessels, this government can have no choice but to sever diplomatic relations at once. And I add now another warning. To both sides in this frightful war, victory, whoever wins it, will be empty. The spoils will be nothing but ruined cities, starving and desperate peoples, a civilization rent by hatred. It is too late for victory. There must be peace. Mr. President. Huh? Oh, Parker, what are you doing here? May I speak to you at once, sir? Yes, of course. Let's step out of this crowd. Well, what is it? We've had a first reply to your request for a peace conference. From the European allies? On the contrary, sir. What? The very people you've warned today are the first to answer. They've officially asked for more information. Oh, that's wonderful, Parker. I may be cynical, sir, but I don't think they're doing this because they want peace. They feel they're winning and they're willing to quit while they're ahead. I won't be as cynical as that just yet. Not until European allies refuse, and I'm banking everything on my hope that they won't. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Whenever there's a shortage of anything, it stands to reason that someone will be forced to do without... Recently, the president pointed out to us the tremendous demand for petroleum products. In fact, the greatest in history. To meet this demand, the oil industry is supplying more petroleum products than ever before, but still not enough to satisfy the demand. But remember this. There's no need for anyone to do without vital fuel oil. Help by protecting your own supply. Don't waste a drop. You can save fuel oil in four easy ways. First, during the day, keep room temperatures at 68 degrees. At night, 60 or below. Second, keep windows and doors closed. Third, shut off rooms not in use. And last, keep your shades drawn at night. Remember, save fuel oil. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Do you know yet which president this story really happened to? 
Well, before you decide, remember that great events often seem to repeat themselves. Five times we fought when almost all the civilized world was fighting, too. Later on, remember, I'm going to tell you which president and which war this was. A few days after my appearance before Congress, we began to feel the rising pressure of public opinion. Mr. President, as members of your party, we want your support for a resolution I want to move in the House of Representatives. All right, McLemore. Now, Kitchen and I are behind you, sir, in your efforts to keep us out of the war. Now, I've got some ideas that may make that easier. For instance, sir, American citizens traveling on ships that are apt to get sunk. Well, they have that right, McLemore. Well, if I were drowning, sir, an abstract right wouldn't be much consolation. Now, I propose that we refuse to give passports to American citizens traveling into the danger zones. Let them stay home and out of danger. By putting neutrals on armed ships is like an army using women and children as a shield. But you misunderstand our policy, Congressman. We can't object to any government destroying ships carrying war materials. But we do object to destroying the lives of neutrals. Your resolution would destroy our whole diplomatic position. We're thinking of American lives, Mr. President. I understand. But in the long run, we can only save lives by protecting rights. And the only way we can do that is to use international law. Pirates care nothing for international law, sir. We've got to make our own policies that'll keep us out of war. That's the kind of international law I want to see. Gentlemen, I beg of you to drop this plan. Why, sir? You don't want war either. You'll force us to retreat. We can't relax one ounce of effort in defending our rights. Even if it leads to war, then it surely will. Gentlemen, give me a few months, weeks. I have reason to hope we can protect our rights and avoid war. Only a few weeks more, gentlemen. They're impossible. Sometimes you give up too easily, Parker. We've had replies from both sides, sir, in reference to the peace conference. We know their conditions for a negotiated peace. Both sides will negotiate if they're sure that they'll have their own way. It's impossible to reconcile. I had hoped, Parker. I had hoped that among all those warring nations, there'd be at least a dozen good statesmen. Well, you have to appreciate the position those men are in, sir. They've led their people in terrible sacrifices. They can't stop the war without something to show for it. They'd have peace to show for it. That's what people want. All right, Parker. Thank you for coming over. Yes, sir. Goodbye, sir. Good afternoon, Miss Howard. Yes, Miss Parker. Uh, Mr. President, Senator Johns is here, sir. Hmm? Oh, oh yes. Well, ask him in, Miss Howard. Senator Johns. Thank you. Come in, Senator. Well, Mr. President, my father was a small-town banker, and he taught me one thing. Mortgages must be paid on time. And you're here to collect yours, hmm? Sixty days ago, we exchanged promises, Mr. President. I've kept mine. Until a few minutes ago, Senator, I was ready to keep mine. You were ready? I did have a plan to bring about early peace, Senator. I haven't got it anymore. It failed completely. You're released from your promise of silence. I warn you, sir, that means I'm going to campaign for war. I can't stop you, Senator. Very well, sir. Good day. Good day, Senator. Good day, Miss Sarah. Good day. Uh, Miss Sarah, will you come in here, please? Yes, certainly, sir. Well, I'm off the tightrope, Miss Sarah. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. Did Senator Johns push you off the tightrope, Mr. President? No, events have done it. Now I want you to arrange a meeting here tomorrow. Call Congressman Kitchen, McLemore, and Flood. Yes, very well, sir. And make it clear. Nobody must know how, how he, he was invited, or they were invited. Uh, what time do you want to see them, Mr. President? Well, any time that's convenient. May I suggest 7.30 in the morning? What? 
Well, if you want the meeting kept secret, it'll have to be held before the newspaper correspondents come in, and so the nearer sunrise, the better, sir. <laughs> well, that's what we'll call it, Miss Sarah, the Sunrise Conference. Gentlemen, my secretary has told you why this meeting had to be so early. Is there a new emergency, Mr. President? Yes, Congressman Kitchen, but not quite the kind you expect. Until this week, I hoped I could bring the warring nations together for a peace conference. I'd hoped they, they might be so exhausted they'd be glad to end the destruction. I'm sorry to say this attempt failed. The nations of Europe seem bound to destroy each other and themselves. Well, we're lucky, Mr. President. We can stay out of it. That's why I've called this meeting. Gentlemen... I no longer think we can. What? But why, sir? I think the issue has grown bigger than our neutral rights. I think that Western civilization itself is at stake. I think that there's real danger that the European allies will lose the war. And then we'll face a world ruled by a gang of murderers. There's an ocean between us, sir. It's not big enough. If it comes to war later, we can fight off anybody, Mr. President. Mr. McLemore, I'm not thinking only of our own survival. I'm thinking of the immediate fate of the entire Western world. Another year of war, and it won't make any difference who wins. Every nation will have been sent back a hundred years. Gentlemen, the war must be ended within six months, and now I know only one way to end it. We must enter it on the side of the European allies. What do I understand you, sir? You mean to ask Congress for a declaration of war now? Exactly, Kitchen. And as you're the leader of our party, I need your support. Our House will never vote war, Mr. President. Nor would the Senate's up. I promise you, speaking for myself and McLemore and Flood and dozens of others, we'll fight it to a standstill in Congress. Gentlemen, I know I'm asking you for a big decision at very short notice. But there's so little time now. You can't hurry the people this way, Mr. President. You can't take them into war. We can't take them into a war it's clear they don't want. Senator John says the people do want it. John's is a hothead. Believe me, Mr. President, a declaration of war is impossible. It is imperative. I know how you feel now because I felt that way too. As long as there was any hope of a just settlement, it was right that we stay out. There is no longer that hope. Now is exactly the right moment for us to go in, and in six months we can restore peace. If we go in now, it will cost us fewer lives, less bitterness. Can't you see it? Peace will cost us no lives at all, sir. Peace may cost us the future of civilization. Mr. President, this country is sufficient to itself. McLemore, you've got to wake up. There's no room in your public life anymore for that kind of attitude. It's small, ignorant, blind. I can't let ideas like that stand in my way. Are you threatening us, sir? I will if I must. To make you see. I'm willing to take all the responsibility, but we must enter the war now. And any man who stands in the way will be smashed. Mr. President, you forget yourself. The situation is so desperate that I'd even provoke a war to end it sooner. If you won't support me, we'll hand the enemy's ambassador his passports, and they'll declare war on us. That's a trick, sir. But think of the cost of not doing it. Mr. President, we're not rulers. We're temporary leaders, and there's a big difference. This country wants peace. Our party wants peace. That's the position you prepared for us, and we're proud to occupy it. You can't change now overnight, no matter what your personal opinion may be, or ours. We can't lead the people any faster than they want to go. War will come eventually, gentlemen. Maybe so, sir, but our duty and yours is to express what the people want now. Why, it would be fatal to take a divided country into war. Gentlemen, do you believe we've got to continue as the party of peace at any cost? That I've got to continue as the president who wants peace at any cost? It's the only way we can re-elect you, sir. I'm not thinking of that. Mr. President, 
You cannot possibly expect the support of the Congress at this time. Therefore, you will not have the support of the people. And without that support, if you take this nation into war, you court defeat. Gentlemen, is there no way I can make you see? Won't you support me? Help get the Congress to support me. Very well, gentlemen. I can see you're determined. I can do nothing more. I can only hope that you and the people don't sleep until it's too late. Uh, Mr. President, under the circumstances, it would be fatal if anyone learned of this conference. I won't mention it again. I have no choice but to bow to you. Mr. President, uh, will you be able to defend a position you no longer believe in? I won't let you down, gentlemen, or myself. I promise you. Yes? I'm afraid it's about the newspaper correspondence again. Well, they're certainly giving you a rough life, Miss Sarah. I'm afraid they've heard rumors there asking if you changed your ideas. The truth is yes, but the official answer is no. Well, they've asked if you would have a peace plank in the party platform. The official answer is yes. You know I'd like to tell the truth, Miss Sarah, but I can't. Just at the moment when I know that war is inevitable for us, I've got to go on saying we can keep out. Don't go on saying it, Mr. President. I've got to, Miss Sarah. Don't you see? Until the Congress and the country are unified on this issue, we don't dare tip our hand to a potential enemy. I'm back on that tightrope again. I can only hope I get a chance to jump off before I fall off. you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It uh, really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Drew Pearson is the commentator who broke the headline news recently for his splendid work in organizing the friendship train food shipments to France. Mr. Pearson was awarded the French Legion of Honor Medal. A keen student of national and world questions, Pearson, whose Washington column is the most widely published in the world, is also currently celebrating his 15th year as a top-flight radio analyst and predictionist. When you hear him broadcast Sunday nights, you hear the inside story on the most important and significant news of the day and predictions of things to come. Yes, you'll meet history in the making and headlines to come when you join us for Drew Pearson on the air tonight over most ABC stations. Now here again is Edward Arnold. As I said earlier, we've been in several wars, some of them involving almost the entire world. We fought the French in Indian wars, our Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, and then 1917 and 1941. But this story actually took place in 1916, when Woodrow Wilson held the secret Sunrise Conference and tried to take us into war over a year before we finally entered. As you know, he was re-elected as the president who kept us out of war when it appears it was Congress who actually did. And today we generally agree that Woodrow Wilson's fear of worldwide exhaustion was only too well grounded. Come and see me again next week, won't you? 
I'll have another story for you about Mr. President of the White House I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of High Wall, starring Robert Taylor, Audrey Totter, and Herbert Marshall. <laughs> Mr. President is presented each week by the American Broadcasting Company. It is produced by Robert G. Jennings and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. Tonight's story by Paul R. Milton was suggested by incidents in the administration of President Woodrow Wilson. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam. Join us again next week, same time and station, when Edward Arnold brings you another story of the White House and Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.